You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Well, at first it's weird because I, I actually grew up in not a very uh, big fishing family, even though they're all from Hunter Mile. My whole family's range from there. They're farmers and cowboys and stuff. But um, it was definitely that that guy, my friend's dad, I was talking about earlier, who uh, took me on my first trip there in Hunter Mile. He uh, definitely a big influencer. We're getting in trouble lots and just, you know, just being a little punk, not worried about life and school and stuff. And I really think fly fishing, when he got me into that, it kind of changed my life from that point. I kind of slowed down and yeah. feel like I focused on things. Maybe the time on the water let me think about things and my future and everything. And I really feel like from that, that time on was a big step in my life right there. It literally 5 a.m. It's still cold out. I'm talking. So we've been out there sometimes. It's still minus one, minus two at night. I you, mean, in the morning. You can see your breath. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's cold. But the, my favorite time is like uh, exactly that. When you're sipping that coffee and it's hitting about eight, nine o'clock and you're seeing that lake start to liven up, that uh, the fog's lifted, the sun's coming over the trees. You can... You're, you're slowly not getting cold anymore. You can feel your face again. And you're seeing fish jump and bugs coming off. And it's just that time. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires, bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Flyfish 97 podcast. Thanks for joining us this time around. And we are going to take you out to Maple Ridge, British Columbia, Canada. We've got Tyler Ekdahl on the line tonight. Now, Tyler is uh, Togan's Fly Shop Pro Staff. He's Forge Fly Fishing Pro Staff. A couple of places I frequent a lot. I got a Forge Reel at Togan's. Well, they take some of my money, so my wife says. Um... Grew up in a 100-mile house, uh, competitive fly fisher, pro tire, and doing some amazing things at the Vice. Tyler, thanks for taking the time tonight, man. No worries. Excited to be here. Thanks for the uh, opportunity. Yeah, always. So let's let's start at the beginning. Um, I always like to start the show off by how did you come to discover fly fishing, you know, the early days in 100-mile? In Walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, well, uh, as as we say, born and raised in Hunter Mile, so I grew up in prime territory of fishing. But um, I spent uh, most of my years, I spent half my life growing up on Green Lake in uh, 70 Mile House. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other half of my life, I was out in Lackawash Lake on the north end of Hunter Mile towards Williams Lake. Both both big lakes, so I spent... Um, most of my times with my stepdad as a child and stuff, fishing from a young age, but we're mainly gear fishermen and downriggers going for lakers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, was, it wasn't until about I was actually um, 
about 20 years old when I got my first fly rod. And it was um, my two best friends growing up, one of two, two of my best friends, uh, Tyler and Travis Bergeron, they're twins. And their dad was a crazy fisherman out every time, Monday to Friday after work, out on the lakes, every weekend, long weekend. And um, it was his goal kind of to get us out on the water for a weekend when we're young and 20 because we're partying lots and being hooligans and stuff. And I, I remember him giving us the chat being like, I'm going to take you guys out and show you what, like, what being men are going out for a true camping trip and roughing it out. And we went out to this uh, lake out in the middle of nowhere. It was about a half an hour hike in and um, loaded up. This was a total different experience. I'm used to uh, fishing on a comfy boat and, you know, got all my drinks and sandwiches and stuff. No, this was a... now I think about it probably like a 45 minute hike in with our belly boats or a little tent Uh, (laughs) everybody had a little axe and it it was it was quite the experience but anyway so um I remember about a week or two before that actually he took us all to town to uh Don X funny enough is 100 mile one of 100 miles fishing has a little fishing section in the back a little pharmacy slash fishing place okay um Went and got herself a little dragonfly rod and reel and stuff, and off he went out to this uh, little lake there. And um could still remember as a kid, now that I'm a adult, I'm like, okay, the hike wasn't that bad. But as a young teen or young 20s, I was like, oh, this hike is horrible, tripping, sweating. 20, I think it was about June, middle of June, so it was getting a little warm up there. And I remember finally making it to this lake, and it was a completely private lake. No no cabins, no people, the odd little, you can tell someone's camped there a couple times before. And, uh, yeah, so we uh, got us all out on our belly boats for our first time. That was quite the experience. Hmm. Here, I'm here. I'm thinking it's just going to be a little, you know, you just kick around, you find stuff. I remember making about halfway to the lake, feeling like my legs were burning and going to fall off. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> Yeah, right. But uh yeah, so anyways, we were we were just trollers back then. I had a I think it was like a full sink dragon, I don't know. I think I went and bought every type of leech I could buy and didn't even think there was other bugs at this time in my first trip. I was like, Okay, leeches, leeches, those look good. And um yeah, I remember going out there and it must have been not not ten minutes after we finally get out to the spot and give us a little talking, tell shows us all how to throw out our leech and get paddling so it can sink down and whatnot. And uh never forget man, never really caught too many uh big rainbows growing up in these big lakes until I came out on this uh fly fishing trip with him and my very first rainbow I caught on my fly rod must have been five and a half pound rainbow. Wow. And yeah, and I still and on a fly rod my first time fishing, right? It was it was a five weight, so I had backbone and stuff. But I can still remember to this day this uh, trout pulling me around in this belly boat, taking me all over where it wanted to go. I think I had my drag <laughs> a little tight at that time because I didn't know much about it. But right. this thing was pulling me left and right, and I just from that moment I was uh, I guess you could say hooked. There you go. There's a good little pun for you. But yeah, it was quite the experience, and I don't. I don't think I've put a fly rod down since then, and I'm 30 now, so. 
That's, that's a, a good 10 years addiction. That's some pretty high expectations. Well, you probably didn't have any expectations going in, but when you hook a fish that big first time out, like that's, that's the fish of a lifetime for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. I was like, oh, this is fly fishing? And to make it even worse, we must have hooked into, I don't know, like 10 of those, each of us all day that day. So hmm. ranging between, you know, three to six pounds at this lake. And I just remember just being like, wow, that's what fly fishing is, eh? <laughs> so it kind of helped me out get into fly fishing too, because all of a sudden now I think I'm some professional fly fisherman. Well, I think, I think too, where you and I live and, and some of the lakes we grew up on is not the norm, right? That's globally. No, not at all. I mean, we don't know how good we have it. Maybe we do, but I, I, I have an inkling, but, uh, you know, when, when your first fish is over five pounds, I mean, that's, uh, it's hard to imagine. Like, I mean, you know what it's like when you're fishing on spinning gear and how trout fight. It's still fun and everything. But once you get one on a fly rod, especially of size, it really... I thought I caught a whale. Yeah, exactly. He's probably pulling <laughs> yeah. you around. You got a little wake behind oh, your belly boat. Yeah, that's exactly. I thought my rod was going to break. But I learned my lesson hard because I went back to where I lived on Laclahash Lake at the time, which is a very long, big lake, tough, tough trout fishing. Yeah. And I remembered right away, I spent hours on there every single day trying this fly fishing thing again. And I was skunked daily, yeah. skunked daily until I finally found a little uh, pea milk chub. Yeah. Found a little weed pad right by my house that eventually had those sitting there, a whole bunch of them. And that's kind of how I yeah. would satisfy my trying to catch fish addiction until I started figuring out that, okay, I'm in Hunter Mountain, there's lots of beautiful lakes around that are with these monster trout. Yeah, well, that's that's uh, an amazing part of the world, and uh, well, we've been talking a lot about that region on the show, actually, in the, in the past little bit. I, I try not to. Uh, it's funny on this program, and I, you and I were talking just before we got on this call. I told you I had a pretty good day today, and it's like, where were you? It's like, well, I was, I was, I was on a lake. Was, yeah. uh, you know, it's like uh, it's a big I, lake. It's got lily pads. Exactly. <laughs> it's uh, it's wet. I, I don't know. Like for me, it's like there's something um, sacred about where we fish. Like when you show a pick, I don't like to put those epic cabins or the the land around it. It's just like you know what? It's just like uh, it with Instagram and everything. It's too easy to get things ruined in a and, hurry and you were more than likely you've worked hard to find that spot it's not like you just go out there every single day hammering these big fish easy peasy you know what i mean else everyone yeah. would do it and everyone would be successful yeah it's well it's funny i the region that i'm in when i see a picture of a fish i usually kind of know I, I got a pretty good idea where it is but it's for me it's the land around the lake so if you're just showing the fish in the water um you know it's not it's not always that easy to figure out where the heck you are. Um, no. But uh, I think that's something we need to hold on to a little bit more than we have lately. Because I know when I grew up, there was no Instagram and no Facebook and all that stuff. And it's like you had to put in the time. You had to do the work. You had to do, do your homework, you know. Um, a lot of it was chasing rumors. You'd be on a lake and be like, I heard last week there was three pounders in there. And I'm like uh, catching six-inch fish. I'm like, well... There might be, but we didn't see any. Or, you know, people tend to exaggerate stories. But when you when you get out and you have a good day, 
Um, it's nice to kind of brag about it, but it's also kind of nice to not say exactly what you're doing. You know what I mean? And if I'm out on the lake, it's a little different, but anyway, it's, uh, I'm going off on the side road. I, I, I want to talk Tyler about your, your day to day. So are you ready for a few, uh, questions that kind of get a feel for your area? Oh yeah. Let's talk tunes, man. So when you're on your way to the river or uh, still water that you happen to be fishing, what are you listening to in the stereo? Well, uh, I'm I'm quite a musical guy. My me my wife and me both play guitar, sing, drum, do it all. So I I, I tend to lean towards music that has good instruments in it. But uh, down deep, I'm a country guy. I'm listening to Eric Church, Garth Brooks, Tim Hicks, listening nice. to all the country. Uh, Eric Church, man, I just that guy is doing something nobody else is doing, and whenever, he's brilliant. He's he is brilliant. He's brilliant because he doesn't care. He's like, you know what? You can call it country. Stick that in your country song. It's like he just does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He does what he does, and I think any time you can't label somebody, it's usually when it's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. He's versatile too. He's got a good mixture of yeah country or, songs, country rock, you know, real songs, so. bluesy too, like a real bluesy sound for sure. Um, let's talk about go-to fly patterns. And so, um, I'm gonna let you pick whether it's still water or moving water. Throw it at me. If uh, more often than not, if you're opening up your fly box, and I've seen some of your patterns are butte. What are you reaching for? I'm a I'm a chronomid guy. I'm huge into my chronomids. I'm obsessed with the, like a lot of us watching that in- indicator go down. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a huge chronomid guy. As much as I, you'll see me fishing leeches too and stuff when I'm not getting a bite or nymphs and right. I like to strip and stuff. But I am a huge chronomid guy when it comes to tying them, studying them, seeing them in a throat sample. Like I'm just fascinated by. It the life cycle of a chronomid and yeah. watching that indicator go down. So I feel that. What, what color? I mean, so if you're pulling a chronomid and, and we're in, uh, this show won't air for a little while, so let's say we're in early May um, on your still waters, what what color? Give me some color. My, my confidence fly that I will throw out over any of them is uh, red butt black. Yeah. With um with a little ASB, I don't like to wrap the whole body in ASB. I like to throw a wrap of wire, usually a usually a silver or a black, extra small, and then I like to follow it up with a wrap of ASB. So it's yeah. Is that rib? Just got that hint. Is that rib red or what color? Uh, I'll, I'll do red, red or silver, and okay. then follow it up with ASB. For those that don't know, ASB, anti-static bag, kind of what comes with your computer. It just kind of puts a nice sheen on things. And it's funny, today uh, I was out and it was like, as soon as I went to the anti-static bag, just a little bit of wrap with that kind of little, and, and same thing, just what you're talking about. It was it was uh, darker colors. In this case, it was gray with a black rib yeah. and uh, black bead and then the anti-static wrap and it was just lights out. What is it about that ASB that, that you think really gets their attention? I definitely think it's like a, it's that little shimmer of that gas buildup in there, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I, I think that's why I hence like I like to just have a single wrap of it following the rib compared to a 
fully covered ASB pattern. I know, I know lots of guys love the full ASB body wrap pattern, and a lot of people argue that it definitely won't make a difference, but I find when I'm seeing my throat samples and stuff, it's never, you never see a chronomid that's complete full of gas, but yeah, you I, can see them where they got the hints of it, right? Yeah, exactly, in, in various places. No, I know exactly what you're talking about, and that little bit of hemoglobin. So when... I know you're a Togans guy, so are you using magic beads? Are you using white beads? What color beads, nickel? What are you using on that particular pattern? I used to I used to fish white beads faithfully. Everywhere, every pattern I did was white bead, white bead, white bead. Mm-hmm. And it, it had its, has its advantages, definitely has its disadvantages. There's spots for both. But now that I got into the artistic tying side of things and trying to really match the hatch right i'm almost strictly um uh, black nickel and uh togan's uh brown magic yeah i those brown yeah. magic i love With those gills. i'm putting those on everything yeah the fish love them too it's a, it's a great color I actually they they recently did it with their uh tungsten slotted beads and i've uh started using them in the river while nymphing and it's uh yeah. So far, the same thing. It seems they uh, really seem to like that color. Yeah, the, it's uh, Togans makes a, they call it a magic bead, or it's kind of like a, a what'd you brown say? It's like magic. a brown copper kind of color with a, yeah, and it's got a little bit of the white on metallic on the, shade. Yeah, yeah, it's it's killer. Are you use the ones with the white kind of front, or are they just that copper kind of brown all the way through? I, I the copper brown all the way through, but I definitely use some of the white tip ones too if I'm uh, yeah. just mass producing myself a pattern. Don't feel like tying in gills on every yeah. single one. You those little white tip ones have worked well for me. Yeah, I get that. Tied a lot of gills in my time too, and I know it's like it's just one more step, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. why I used to be faithfully white beads because I was like, this is easier, quicker. What? How do you feel about? Uh... Wing buds. Uh yes, I uh I definitely went through the stage of the wing buds a, a little, I don't know, a year or two ago, and I was doing the stretch floss ones there before uh, mm-hmm. seeing all Stantons and stuff, uh, turkey bite, goose bite styled ones there. But I definitely do you know what? Hey, if you can get your chronomid as close as looking to the real thing as you can, I do not see the harm in that. Yeah, no. Some and, people think fish are stupid, but fish are can't be that stupid if they've survived on this planet reproducing. You know, you find those big fat ones there eating good, but yeah, well, they can make us look pretty stupid on certain days, can't they? Exactly, and who knows? Maybe that's the difference. You know, maybe that's all you need is that little hint of that orange or brown wing bud, and that yeah. could have been enough to turn them onto your pattern or stand up out of the crowd you know what i mean yeah i do so we had stanton jack on on the program uh great guy i know you guys are are tight and you're fishing buddies and and uh you know working for some of the same companies um yeah tell me about that relationship do you guys get out a lot yeah actually we uh with covid hitting not as much obviously but uh he was actually i just recently started this uh competition fly fishing Mm-hmm. Um, I guess last year, right as COVID was hitting and, uh, I was, I'm always active on social media and I guess that's how people kind of started to get to know me on these Facebook pages and stuff. And Stanton actually made a post the one day saying, Hey, any rookies or any people who've never competition fished before interested in competition fishing. 
So uh, that that was actually going to be the first time I've actually talked to Stanton, otherwise liking his crazy creations of flies he makes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and from that day on, he sent me this big message, being super encouraging, giving me many tips and teaching me this thing called Euro-nymphing. At that point, I had no idea what this was. And uh, yeah, so he's the one who actually introduced me to uh, the competitions and uh met me one day and showed me some pointers on how to do your own nymphing and how to prepare for competitions and what they're all about. And, uh, yeah, ever since then, I guess it's been a solid two years that I've known the guy and we chat all the time, head out fishing as much as we can. Yeah. Me, him and another buddy, Jay, get out there. We're both all, we're all Vancouver guys. So we, uh, try to practice as much as we can and trying to, get ready for when COVID stops and our competitions open back up. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, actually that, that ties into a question um, I got for you. So um, if you had to look back so far on your fly fishing journey and say, um, pick some, some big influences on you, I, I assume Stanton might be one of those guys, but um, throw it out there. Who, who's kind of um, mentored you a little bit? Well, at first it's weird because I, I actually grew up in not a very uh, big fishing family, even though they're all from Hunter Mile. My whole family's range from there. They're farmers and cowboys and stuff. But um, it was definitely that, that guy, my friend's dad, I was talking about earlier, who uh, took me on my first trip there in Hunter Mile. He uh, definitely a big influencer. We are getting in trouble lots and just, you know, just being a little punk, not worried about life and school and stuff. And I really think fly fishing, when he got me into that, it kind of changed my life from that point. I kind of slowed down and yeah, feel like I focused on things. Maybe the time on the water let me think about things and my future and everything. And I really feel like from that, that time on was a big step in my life right there. And that- I ended up... Uh, moving down to Vancouver and started introducing, getting introduced to all these fly fishing people who made a big influence on my life, including Stanton and Jay Gason and a bunch of guys down here in the competition because they, uh, I I definitely had experience in fly fishing, but not in the competition. So as soon as I got into the competition, guys like Todd Oshie was just open arms, giving, you know, answering my million questions. I'd send them a day about competitions and rules and regulations. And another guy named Estevan, he's a, he's a comp flyer, to, uh, fly fishing competition guy too. And he's another one who was uh, no problem helping me out, giving me tips and stuff. So I'd say a lot of these uh, local comp anglers so far have been big influences on me. Tyler, I want to go down that rabbit hole because you, you're talking about, you know, you're kind of up to you know, a little mischief and whatnot, and and uh, you went fishing, and it kind of, it sounds like it kind of cleared the head and kind of made you, it sounds like it really impacted your life. And I always like to go and, and dig into that a little deeper. What, what is it about fly fishing, you think, that kind of, um, you know, gave you a little clarity? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's... um. That's a big one for me. I used to be uh, a very um, high-strung kid growing up, always, you know, getting in trouble, always hyperactive, being the class clown and all that. And I think uh, not only just being on the water, because you, you know what I mean? Like, that's the time you're in your own head. You can think about whatever. But um, the tact 
skepticalness about fly fishing, the science behind it, everything, it kind of made me, taught me how to slow my mind down and see the bigger picture of what's happening on the lake, right? You might not be catching fish. Well, if you slow yourself down and see what insects are popping off the water, where fish are rising, you know what I mean? You can get that clarity in your mind to be a better fisherman. And I feel like that kind of went on into my everyday life where before I'd get overwhelmed super easily, high strung, and then, yeah. you know, I was able to take take some fly fishing tips and calm myself down, look around at the bigger picture, and yeah. be able to sort that out. So I think, too, like, I can totally relate to what you're saying. Like, I'm, you put me in that box, too. But <laughs> I think f- we all learn differently, right? Like, some people learn really well in a classroom. Uh, not me. Yeah. Uh, some people just have to do stuff and it sounds like you're that, that type of person. You just got to get out there and do it. And once you kind of get embedded in fly fishing, you know, you you start looking at the entomology of it. You start looking at the casting, you start looking at the, like you say, there's a lot of science involved, but it kind of sneaks up on you. You don't really realize, and you start paying attention to these little details that you may not have before. It's like, you know, you're rolling rocks and you're like, what is that? Yeah. (laughs) It's no uh, idea. Yeah, exactly. And before you probably didn't care, right? But if it's going to help you catch more fish, it gives you a reason to kind of dig into it. Yeah. It's like as a kid growing up, like, good luck trying to get me to read a book. Like, just yeah. no way. And now, now as a 30-year-old adult, I got a whole fly tie and fly fishing book collection that I read weekly. Yeah. Well, that's cool. <laughs> like, I love hearing that because I, I do think we don't talk about that enough. It's it's um It's a pastime that... um there's there's just so many things that are good about it and when you, when you get out in the great outdoors and you kind of clear the mind i don't see a lot of downside to that no not at all hey when you when you're not on the water so if you want to talk fly fishing or get your fix on fly fishing and you're not maybe in your boat where do you go is is there a local brew pub or is there a fly shop locally is there a coffee shop? Is there somewhere you go? Or maybe it's online. Where, where do you go to get your fix when you're not in your waders? Yeah, to be honest with you, uh, over the last couple of years, I would say, I don't know, probably a good solid three years now, I have I have lived fly fishing. So I'm I, otherwise being, I'm a welder fabricator Monday to Friday. But anytime I'm off of there, I'm, I'm going into, uh, Togan's has a shop and, uh, Hogan's owners, Sherry and Justin and her husband, Dave and everything live down the road from me. So I'm always visiting them at Togan's shop, um, hatch, hatch matcher there in Maple Ridge. I'm constantly there visiting with Nick and stuff. So, uh, and if not, I'm kind flies, man. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I gotta be honest. <laughs> I didn't realize Togan's actually had a physical shop. I thought it was all online. Yeah, it, it is. Pardon me. I probably should clear that up. It is all online, but okay. they have like a, a warehouse that they work out of for all of their um, okay. packaging and yeah. stuff like that. I'm thinking, I, I, I want to go there. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no I, doubt. <laughs> yeah. No, it's I, secret, a secret asset access code in the back. And <laughs> you can go in there and see. <laughs> the wall moves. And, yeah. Okay. I got it. Um, Let's talk sports. I don't know if you're a sports guy or not, but... um. Being from 100 Mile, being now in, in Van, uh, Maple Ridge area, um, I assume you may be a Canucks guy, maybe not. Um, maybe you're a Seahawks guy. Who do you follow in, in the world of sports? Where do you get your fix there? 
I'm a I'm a diehard Canucks fan. Right. Um, been since uh, I don't think since I was about eight years old. There's a stretch where I was probably between 12 and 15 years old, where I had like three years consecutive of not missing a Canucks game. You mean in person or on TV? No, just on TV. Oh my, like wow. not missing a single period, yeah. making sure I was I was a diehard fan, which I still am. Yeah. Um, played hockey my whole life, lived on two lakes that froze over every year, and had a handyman stepdad, which would make us a pretty pretty badass uh, hockey rink every year with OSB boards and stuff and nice. big floodlights and everything. It was pretty cool. Consider myself spoiled growing up there like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, huge, huge Canucks fan and. I actually had a really cool, really cool experience that I'd like to talk about here about the Canucks recently. Um, mm. My my wife is a, a nurse and LPN for um, Fraser Valley here, and she's uh, been working all through COVID all over the place doing everything, including recently. She's now, um, for the last, uh, I think, six months now, she's been uh, testing for COVID and giving vaccinations for COVID and stuff. So, um, and like I mentioned earlier, she can sing and play guitar. So uh, a little while ago, um, they were, the Canucks themselves were looking for frontline workers who could help with the anthem or sounding the goal horn and stuff to kind of raise awareness for frontline workers and stuff. Right. And uh, she she had a little interview and everything, and she actually got selected to sing the national anthem at the Canucks game. Wow. Um, I think like, I think last month or so ago. Cool. So, uh, yeah, so we got to uh, go to the Canucks game. She sung the anthem, and they actually uh, surprised us with a a private box. And we got to have dinner and be one of the only fans in the arena and watch a live Canucks game during COVID. Wow. Who were they playing that night? They were playing Phoenix. Nice. Did they win? I can't believe I just said that. They were playing Edmonton. Phoenix was the game we went to last year. That's okay. They were playing Edmonton. Did, uh, I, did, yeah, we won 6-3. Oh, good. Usually when it's Edmonton, I get a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Cool. That, but yeah, it was, it was quite, quite the experience, private box and stuff. And the craziest yeah. thing about it was um, you could hear all the Canucks. You could hear them talking to each other, calling for the puck. Like, yeah. There's no fans. Yeah. It's so quiet in there. You know what's funny? That's what I love about junior hockey. I, I watch our local hockey club religiously when they're playing and – I sit like right behind the bench and I can hear, I can, I can feel the wind when they skate. I can smell if the gear is not clean. You know what I mean? It's like you, you, oh, 100%. you can hear what they're saying to each other. And I, I love that. It changes the aspect of the game because it, it, you can hear their excitement level and stuff that they're at and the intensity that they're at. It's just like, wow. Yeah. No, that's and that's something with COVID. I think we're really missing this live thing, but that's kind of cool to be in a big building like that and to actually be able to hear it. Because, you know, if if it was uh, a regular, you know, Saturday night game, you're not hearing a thing other than the crowd. Yeah. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, it's like I said. It's, that's why I wanted to touch base on that. It's quite the experience. It's pretty much a yeah. It's a story story I've been telling lately when I talk to friends and they ask me how I've been. I was like, well, I got a story for you. No, that's <laughs> cool. So, so is your wife pretty stoked to do that? I bet. Oh yeah, she was so excited. She was nervous, definitely nervous. Yeah. But the minute that the singing was over, she was super excited. Yeah, I. Uh, how long ago was that? 
Uh, like, we talking in the middle of winter? Yeah, not, no, probably only a month or so ago. Okay, cool. So, um, if you had to distill down the biggest lesson that you've learned on your fly fishing journey, is there a single takeaway that you kind of can bring to the table for us? Like, I, I know that's a big question, but like, what does it bring into your world? Hmm, I, I'd have to think about that one. I'd, let me clear. Let me clarify what you mean by that. So what I mean is, like, is it a life lesson or? I guess I kind of already. Lesson? Well, I've kind of already asked you this question, and I think, but like, what do you get out of it? What do you get out of sitting down and tying flies? What do you get out of going to the water and trying those flies I out and slaying some hogs? What What does it bring? What does it What does it do for you? Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously joy and excitement, but uh, I feel like it's like a sense of fulfillment. I'm also I'm also a hunter. Yeah. So I feel like they they correlate. Like it's um, I, I like to research. I like to do my studying and stuff. I like to live fly fishing. So when I get out on the water and stuff, it's a uh, real rewarding when all of those uh, all that time you spend researching and planning and everything pays off it makes you feel you know it makes you feel successful yeah i guess if uh but if hey we've all had those days where it makes you feel very unsuccessful (laughs) but but that's i guess that's what keeps us coming back though if it was too easy it wouldn't be any fun yeah exactly and that and i think that's what i'm looking for is all those unsuccessful trips and makes up for that one successful trip and you get that you know what I mean? We were talking about fishing today. When you have a, when you have a good day, especially when you're not expecting it, yeah, it it's really rewarding when you go home and you're like, man, all that hard work paid off. I yeah. found myself a good little spot now. I found myself a good little pattern work that worked at this time of year. Yeah, and it and it helps you in your future. You know, now you now all of a sudden you're planning a trip back to that same lake around the same time, and you know, within within ten years, he's now develop 20 different spots and yeah you have all this knowledge now to get out there and now you have endless options of fishing where i remember when i first started fly fishing it was hard to even find a spot where i had confidence that i was going to catch a fish oh yeah it also teaches you to read water like you know like you can go you go to a brand new lake or a river that you've never been to but in a way you have you know, you you see the shoals, you see the drops, you see the riffles. You get a feel for where the fish are, and it's it's hard to verbalize that, but I, I really feel that. And the longer we do it, I think it just, um, I know what you're saying. it it You get some satisfaction out of it because, like, yeah, I've seen this before. That probably helps in your, your competitive um, fly fishing, I would imagine. Yes, 100%. You know, the only downfall is... um. I was very, very new to this fly fishing thing as, I mean, pardon me, to the competitions to the point where I actually only got my first competition in and then COVID canceled it. Okay. So I actually have not yet um, got to make a lake competition or anything yet, but I've been, since I've, since my very first competition, I've been addicted to it. So now I've been training with guys and getting out there as much as I can and learning everything about it. So when it comes back on, I'll, I'll definitely be ready for it. So are but, you, are you involved with this, uh, BC league? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that a lot with Stan. So that's, that's a, maybe explain that. So that's like a competitive 
fly fishing. And when we say competitive, um, I, I, I use that word sparingly only because yes, it's competitive, but it seems like there's a lot of bonding. There's a lot of people are willing to help you catch fish and share information, which I think in, in other competitive, you know, pastimes, maybe not the case. Oh yeah. Like me being the new guy, everyone was definitely helpful and stuff, but don't get me wrong. There's definitely some veteran guys on there who knew their other veteran guys and they're definitely not going to help each other. It's a little more tight strung there. But like I said, me coming in there, I had tons of help everywhere. I got offered onto teams. People like come with me here, come this weekend. We'll teach you this and teach you how to read the water. And, and that's actually, that's a, another thing that, that, uh, Stanton and Jay are both good for that have opened up my world is this water reading thing because being at the lake, you know, there's definitely lots to learn about reading water of a lake and stuff. But when I started getting into this Euronymphing thing, that's, that's key because you can go to a river and fish all day in this spot and not catch a thing. And some guy who knows how to read that water properly is going to come in and within a couple of casts be hooked up to a fish in your spot and, Right. You're just sitting there like, no way. <laughs> I just had it handed to me. Fill in the blank for me, man. So when I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? Ah, when I'm not fly fishing, I am usually spending time with my wife. That's the correct answer. Which later. <laughs> What's your first <laughs> no, name? No, I'm a, a Stephanie. Okay. Stephanie. So, yeah, we spend a lot. Of, we spend a lot of time together. We're best friends. We very outdoorsy people. Cool. Camping. We've got two dogs. Spend lots of time doing that. Yeah, I love it. What's the best job you've ever had? Are you doing it now, or is it something you've done before? Is it something you hope to do in the future? Best job I ever had. Hey, eh? uh, you know what? I uh, just recently couple months ago opened up i work full-time like i said as a welder fabricator and i've never minded it but i never loved it it's a good good career good money thing but i recently opened up my own little welding custom welding fabrication company yeah and started doing some side work and to be honest with you man i think uh i think i really dig this uh being my own boss thing yeah I'm going to tell you right now, these side jobs I've done, I've absolutely loved my time welding and fabricating when I'm uh, my own boss and can make my own time. And once again, a sense of fulfillment and yeah. success when you finish a job on your own, right? I think I think that side hustle thing is is important. Even if it's not your bread and butter, how you make your living, it's a creative outlet. I know a lot of welders, and almost every welder to the T to me says, I don't like what I'm making, but when you can make something you want to make, or you can make, you know what I mean? You can get a little creative and it's a little different than, than commercial welding, right? Yeah, exactly. Commercial welding is hard work, but if you can get in over to the artistic side of things or, Hey, build them boats, there's, you know, it's, it's limitless what you could do, but yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I, I think that um, that's that balance thing again, right? You got to pay the bills, and it's great to have that day job that pays well and, um, you know, always grateful for that. But I think... Security. It, exactly, and that's critical. We all know that. But I, I think that um, that leap of faith and, and doing stuff on the side like that, and, and, you're, and good for you, because I think that's cool. And um, that's how a lot of us... I mean, if, 
That's what I'm doing with this podcast. It's like, you know. Side hustles? Think, side hustles are where they at nowadays. This is a side hustle. I mean, who doesn't have a side hustle? We all have something going on. But um, yeah. let's um, let's get back to the water a little bit. So um, I want you to put on your artist hat and paint a picture for me. Your perfect day on the water, whether that's a still water, whether you're Euro-nymphing, whatever you're doing, Walk us through your dream day, Tyler. So, I mean, is there a coffee in the morning, a drink at the end of the day? Who are you with? What kind of species are you chasing? Um, pay, paint us a little picture. Uh, yeah, of course. Actually, uh, I have I have my uh, greatest day every year out fishing, and it's uh, I have two friends who kind of help me on my way of fly fishing: Nick Wright and Andrew Johnson. And uh, my friend Andrew has this birthday derby every year in may pretty much picks a lake that's 75 percent ice off and we're out there for the whole weekend and sometimes this birthday derby has been horrible weather sometimes it's nice weather but uh yeah so a perfect day is going out with these guys because they're just absolute um great fishermen will wake up let's say literally 5 a.m it's still cold out i'm talking so we've been out there sometimes it's still minus one, minus two at night. I you, mean, in the morning. You can see your breath. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's cold. But the, my favorite time is like uh, exactly that. When you're sipping that coffee and it's hitting about eight, nine o'clock and you're seeing that lake start to liven up, that uh, the fog's lifted, the sun's coming over the trees. You can, you're, you're slowly not getting cold anymore. You can feel your face again. And you're seeing fish jump and bugs coming off, and it's just that time. That I, what's the word I'm looking for? I know exactly um, what you're talking about. I, I don't yeah, even. You know, I don't know sun, how you define sun, that. I don't know either, but you can see everything liven up. You've heard the birds starting to chirp now for the last 15 minutes and stuff, and then that bites on at that time. You know the fish are up, fish are cruising, bugs are there. Hmm. But uh, but yeah, it's always it's always a um, that time of year, I guess, is why I think it's my favorite time going on that birthday derby because it's a hundred mile early spring, still cold in the mornings, but you can, once that sun is up, man, those, that lake comes alive for you. And that's just a, a feeling that you can't really explain, I guess, but. Yeah. Sounds like that might be chronomid go time. That's exactly it. I'm fishing chronomids. I'm looking for my rainbow trout. I love them panask. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> There's so many different species of rainbows that we do target in this area, but I'm telling you, they're so buggy those panas, and they're so aerial, and they're just for me, they just it never gets old. It's the fight, yeah, man. It's the tug is the drug, and they're they're the kings of it. They uh they they keep you excited the whole time. Was that first fish you caught up near a hundred mile? on the fly rod a panask yes and i think that had half the reason to do with it because it was jumping and pulling and i i haven't caught something like that before what about since have you i mean i mean i know you're down in in maple ridge you're down in the vancouver area so i assume you're still water game you probably got to do a little little bit of driving to get into some trophy waters now um oh yeah or have you got into you know? Well, I'm sure with your patterns and whatnot, you're probably targeting some pretty some pretty big fish. 
Yeah, actually, I, I, I do. I definitely make my, my trips to the the Merritt areas and back up to Hunter Mile all the time and definitely definitely still land in some big fish. But I'm 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 definitely not that guy. I uh I, I like fishing. I um will Euro nymph down here and catch, you know, small little half pound rainbows and be just as happy as yeah. catching lunkers. But I, I think I say that because I definitely get a few trips a year, quite, I shouldn't say that, quite a few trips a year up to these lakes where you are catching these enormous fish, right? Right. So when I come back to Vancouver, I have no problem. I even, you'll see me out on my days just on the little stocked lakes here. And the smile on my face when I'm catching fish is the exact same smile that's on my face when there's a five pounder. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I have, yeah. It's funny, I was out today on a lake that um, has never been stocked. And, uh, you know, it's valley bottom, it's it's indigenous fish since the last ice age. But we were catching fish that have never been caught, and we were catching them on chronomids. And I'm just, like, going, these wild fish, like, I, they could be half the size of some of these, you know, these pellet stock pigs. And I would take them, because they're, they're like athletes they're they're solid and they're they're i don't know i i was i said to my buddy i go you know the lakes we sometimes fish i feel like i'm fishing for couch potatoes it's like these these (laughs) fishes just sit there and they get fat and they're nitrogen fed water and they're dark and then yeah they fight but you it doesn't have to be very big and wild to give you a heck of a tug yeah and they're exactly that and usually you'll on these wild fish too you'll see i find um that's where you'll get a lot of these cool markings and colorings and stuff that you don't see on the traditional oh. stock trout that become kind of clones, right? We had three doubleheaders today, and and we had two nets with with two sorry three nets with two fish at the same time, and I was like blown away because there was some of them had no spots. Like I thought it was a kokanee and had no spots, had one spot on the tail. And then the other one looked like a looked like a Fraser Valley it was so full of spots. It was just like, what's going on here? But um, yeah, no, you're yeah, right. Yeah, definitely unique. Yeah, no, exactly and, for sure. Yeah. And just even getting me getting into the rivers over, like I said, I fly fishing for ten years now and spent a lot of I don't know seven of those years still water, mainly stocked rainbows. It took up to the last two three years now that I've hit all the local rivers in Vancouver and started exploring other rivers around BC and getting into some of these wild, wild cutties and wild rainbows and stuff. And it's just, yeah. it just opened up the world to some more beautiful fish that I've never seen before. It's just like, wow. Yeah. You can, you can definitely tell same thing. Like you said, by the fight and by the look, if you yeah. got yourself into a nice wild fish. Do they, do you spend a lot of time fishing the backwaters of the Fraser for those cutties? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, all all over the place. Cutty cutty fishing's fun. It's another thing that I'm I say new, but definitely like when I say new I mean like doing it for two years, three years now. Yeah. But cutty fishing's a different one. That's probably the closest thing to steelheading or hunting deer I can think of. Right. Yeah, it is it is yeah. hunting. Have you well, I mean, right now you're kinda of coming into the wheelhouse for that. Um you know, April, May, that, or well, even March, that's when you want to be out there, right? Yep. Yeah. There's a, you're, you're just starting to see them. I, I've been catching them for 
a month or so now. Actually, this year I've been it's been a really good cutty season for me. This year I got into quite a few in the early season too with my friend Jay there, and people are questioning like, "Hey, where are you getting that? They're not supposed to be here yet." <laughs> type deal. But um, but now I'm, you're starting to you're starting to see a lot more of them coming in, a lot more people talking about them and stuff. It's uh, the yeah. fries in now. So now's the time if you're a cutty fisherman, eh, start hitting all those local backwaters around Vancouver and eh. You never know, right? Tyler, is that because the the fry are starting to pop? Oh yeah, that's exactly it. They come in and they they feast on these fry. They go they go crazy over these little fry. Hmm. Like they can. It's almost like these fish are going manic. It's like, you know what I mean? Like um, if the fry aren't there, these fish are sitting down in their water and relaxing and taking their time. But you'll you'll know if the cutties are there and the fry are there because there'll be splashes everywhere, darts going, fish darting through the water. Like yeah, they, they make themselves noticeable. You just have to approach it at the right rate. So you're not scaring everything, the fry and the fish, right? You got two to worry about scaring out of there. <laughs> yeah, I do. We've got Tyler Ekdahl on on the line tonight out of Maple Ridge, British Columbia, Canada. He's uh, Tokens Fly Shop Pro Staff. Look him up. Forged Fly Fishing Pro Staff makes some beautiful reels. Um, grew up in Hundred Mile House. Uh, he's a pro tire competitive fly fisher. Now based in the Lower Mainland. Um, Tyler, is there anything? about the sport of fly fishing you think we could do a little better and i know it's a funny question but i always like to ask it like is there anything that kind of irks you about what we're doing or is there anything we can improve in your mind uh you know the fly fishing community the fishing community and the fly fishing community i find are two different worlds for sure i think most people agree with that and oh, i'm yeah. a I gotta say, I'm I'm pretty happy with the fly fishing community. How most people are with stuff. Yeah. But uh, I think the most important thing is is no matter um, how much fun we have and how many drinks you have at night and stuff. I think the only thing is is uh, I definitely noticed some garbage and stuff. And you know, I, I I try to spend my time picking up garbage everywhere I go, especially now that I'm on these rivers. And I, I can see when your bundle of line is sitting on the beach if that was typically a fly fishing leader or a 30 pound salmon fisherman but uh for the whole fishing community i think uh we all need to work a little better on taking our trash in and out sometimes that just kills me especially these vancouver rivers and stuff that you go down there and you just the stuff you see in the water and the banks and stuff is horrible but uh that's probably my only ever comment about it otherwise that i've had a i've met some of my best friends out of fly fishing communities and you know you, most fly shops you go into are pretty good at making you feel at home. If you just yeah. show them respect, they'll show you respect. And I feel like that kind of goes with most fly fishermen. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I take that into consideration when you're out on the water. And yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I'll tell you, if, it's not a funny story. It's kind of a sad story, but I used to fish the uh, Chilliwack River back in the day. And we yeah. had this tree we called the line tree. And, and what that meant was like, if, if, if you got broken off and you need a new piece of line, you go to the tree because there was so much line wrapped around this tree. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Just go get yourself it's, a new leader. Yeah. Tap it off, yeah. It on. And that was like, it was a little sad to say, but it was true. Well, and, uh, hopefully it's a little better now. I don't know. I, I stopped fishing there cause there's so many people, but, um, you're definitely. It's only with. 
with COVID hitting there, um, it's only gotten worse, which I don't want to say worse because it's great more people are getting into fishing, but you can you can really see a rise in people fishing over the last couple of years here. Yeah. Hundred percent. I, but that I'll be honest with you. I don't think that's just there. I think that's everywhere. I'm, I'm talking to people in Denver. I'm talking to people in, um, all o- uh, Pennsylvania, all yeah. over North America. That, um, you know, we're now in a in a zone where it it's safe to be outdoors. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, you know, you're not sitting on a, on a subway somewhere or, or riding a bus. You're you got space. So it's, it's, it's safe. And I think, um, there's comfort in that. And I think it's great. It's a double-edged sword though. And in fact, we talk about this a lot on, uh, I've got a clubhouse group that, uh, is called, uh, fly fishing club on clubhouse. And, uh, we've got, uh, Roger Maves, uh, Dave Stewart, uh, Roger's got to ask about fly fishing. Dave's got the wet fly swing podcast and then myself. And then we have, yeah. you know, there's a bunch of big names. Phil Rowley's on there. We've got um, all um, Tim Camisa's on there, but where I'm going with this is the the last time we were talking is that that came up a lot is like it's COVID and there's people everywhere. How do we find space on the water? And I thought it was a really it's a valid question because especially as someone that's been doing this a long time, the the, more, the longer you've done it, now you realize. We want people in the sport. The more people in the sport, the more conservation, the more things are going to happen. But at the same yeah, time... more licenses, more money. Exactly. But when you go to your favorite little honey hole, guess what? You may yeah. or may not There's be. There's more people there. <laughs> exactly. So it's, you know, it's 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 challenging for sure. But I, I think positive because, you know, as, as somebody that's, um, you know, doing a side hustle or making a living full-time in this industry... Um, I think it's important that, that we get a lot of people involved in it. And conservation is probably the one place that we need, you know, we need people. You need people to conserve things. Otherwise, nobody's going to care. Yeah, no, exactly that. I've, I've even almost came down to it, the idea. I came to, I had a cool conversation with a friend the other day of um, that even a fishing license, maybe one day with the amount of new fishing fishermen and fisherwomen who got into the fishing thing it might be a time in the future for them to uh implement a little little booklet that you got to read and a test to get your fishing license kind of like getting a hunting license yeah. so that these new fishermen and stuff are they have to show the fact that they you know took some time to understand because i've seen some pretty crazy stuff this year during covid the salmon season down here was super popular and it was just crazy some of the stuff i've seen people have no idea what they're doing which hey i wasn't i wasn't the one who's yelling at them i I hate when i see people do that see somebody mishandle a fish and they just all yell at the person instead of being like hey maybe that person doesn't quite know what they're doing maybe that's the first salmon they ever caught and they're full of adrenaline so i'd always try to help people but yeah that's all that was a little conversation we got into was like maybe they need to implement a little 25 question test on fishing to get your fishing license whether it's just fish handling skills even if they're ridiculously questions being like is it safe to throw a fish 10 feet back into the water or b gently release it (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean i think i think that's common honestly i don't think that's that far off i mean they did it with boating licenses we never used to have a boating license and when i think about it if you're navigating a you know around a, a port 
you better know what the heck you're doing if you're in an aluminum boat or uh, or a yacht, right? It's like yeah, it, it yeah, makes no sense. Doubt. Yeah, no, I, I I feel you on that. So l- let's talk about where people can check out your your amazing fly patterns because we haven't really actually. You know what? Let's talk about that. We haven't got into your fly patterns. Talk to me about fly time because that's an aspect of what you're doing that we haven't even dug into, but even touched it. No, let let's go there. So. Um, have you been tying flies almost as long as you've been fly fishing? Um, probably not to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I've been tying flies quite hardly. I don't know how else to say it. I've, I've been going really hard on tying flies for now, I guess about four years. I'm actually, compared to some of these guys, I'm actually kind of still new at it. Right. But, um, I started about four or five years ago at the beginning I wasn't too into it I was just one of those fly tires who would just tie two or three coronamid patterns just to fill up my own box right. but about four about four years ago um I started really getting into the art side of it and the this is this comes with like what we we're talking about earlier about like the science side and getting fixated on literally spending some days just going out and studying bugs and watching how these bugs move in the water and stuff, it started to become really fascinating to me. And that was all of a sudden when I found another whole addiction compared to fly fishing now was uh, fly tying. Yeah. And um, I started this and uh, it, it got out of hand, man. I was spending every dollar, every minute just tying these flies, trying to replicate, and I would just get excited. I'd run into the kitchen and show my wife. My poor wife has seen every fly from the the first horrible one that just looked like a ball of thread up to what I'm producing nowadays. But um right. yeah, it's uh it's it's an art form, but it's uh it's a rewarding art form because these patterns if you can produce learn these bugs and see how they move and produce yourself a nice pattern. It's definitely, definitely going to help your fishing game. You said something in, in one of your bios that I was reading that I really um, can connect with. And you said, um, I look at these insects and I try to imitate these. I, I think a lot of people don't do that. I think a lot of people look at patterns and try to create those patterns. I think that's a mistake personally. I think if you can get that vial you know, from that throat sample, or you can roll a rock and say, oh, look at this. When you try to create what you're seeing, I think that's a creative upside. What do you think? I I 100% agree with that. And like a a big thing I'm starting to learn too, it it sounded weird when someone first told me, but is uh, like you're having confidence in your fly or having confidence in your fly pattern. At the beginning, I was like, no way, I'm going to take a whatever Phil Rowley tied or, you know what I mean? Whatever Brian Jan tied. And that's the only pattern I'm going to use. Right. Because that, you know what I mean? I didn't have that type of confidence, but nowadays, no, that's the complete opposite. I take pictures of every throat sample, every bug I see and try my best to replicate the colors and the movements of the real bugs because, Hey, you know what I mean? If you, you, you master that after 10 years of trying to match these bugs and stuff, you know, People one day are going to be saying like, "Hey, I, I'm going to copy Tyler Eckdahl's fly because that, that's, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I have confidence in these patterns because I'm spending my time trying multiple different threads and multiple different flashes and yeah. buzzer wraps and stuff to get these colors that I'm seeing." Oh, I love that buzzer wrap. But no, I I, oh, I, I, I know I agree, Tyler. Like for me, it's like 
okay, it's one thing to come up, create something, does it work, doesn't it work? But from flight time on the water, you know what works. Like like today, I hit, I hit this pattern. I'm like, I've been fishing this pattern for 30 years. Why didn't I start with that? I'm trying to use all these creative ones. But then I realized that um, I was fishing too big. I had to downsize. The size, yeah. size 18s were where it's at because that's what's coming off. And they, they're, they're a pain to tie, but, you know, not everything's a bomber, right? Like, you know what I mean? It's like we see bombers like one or two times a year on the water for the most part. It's like what is really coming off and try to try to be that. Yeah, no, that that's exactly it. And that's another thing, too, is a lot of us get crazy out of hand with how many patterns and how, you know what I mean? There's endless patterns you could have, but there's... Yeah, there's not quite endless patterns that are coming off in the water, if you know what I mean. We're yeah. not getting we're getting new synthetic colors and hues and stuff like this, but yeah. our chronomids ain't growing new colors and hues. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's a great so like you can play. That's yeah, that's a good quote. I like that. Like you can play around all you want, but like, uh, and that's another thing of success, like uh, feeling successful, right? You can take one of these all these patterns are just variations of other patterns. Like yeah. some, somebody's done it somewhere. Exactly. But Hey, if you, know, if you find a zucchini and you know, that a zucchini pattern works good, try, try it with a, your own color or rib or yeah. try a double, triple rib or, Hey, I just seen someone on Stillwater's group there. I think maybe yesterday, a day before he um did a real cool chronomid pattern. Don't know if you've seen it, but, yeah, he did I like did. four, four, yeah, four wraps of wire like yeah, that. It looked great. I thought. And it was it, hey, there you go. That's yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. It's still gonna be a blue done pattern with red ribbing. Yeah, but that guy made it unique, and maybe it gave him confidence in that fly. Now, if you start hammering fish with it, and exactly. And when I think successful, I think too when you're on a heavily pressured water. And you can just put a slightly different spin. Sometimes that works in your favor. Yeah, standing out in the crowd, right? Yeah, yeah. And also looking like the real thing. But, yeah, you know, uh, fish aren't as, as dumb as, as, as we seem to think they are. Once the, once they've had a sore lip, they they might think twice before hitting that same pattern. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what kind of ice are you tying on? Actually, for the longest time, I've, uh, I was just, uh, I'm cheap at heart and I was always buying these cheap little vices, ones off Amazon, whatnot, all those ones. But I recently, I don't know, I guess, uh, almost a year ago now, finally invested myself a nice peak rotary vice. Nice. And man, that, that, that changed things up for me. Although like the, the fly quality, like stayed the same because without the rotary, I still, I just paid mass attention when wrapping my rib but the rotary definitely made everything a little easier for me now yeah i find it it's funny i was talking to your buddy stanton and and he's like i don't use the rotary when i do my ribs i do them by hand and other people are like i do the rotary whatever works right i mean i do yeah. both i do both to be honest and i i I don't, I don't know which i prefer i i there's something i like about the rotary because it's very uniform <laughs> but yeah uh, smooth yeah yeah, it is. No, for sure. What do you What do you finish your chronomids with? Are you using uh, resin? You using crazy glue? You using Loctite? You using Sally Hansen? I'm, I'm a 
I'm a big resin guy. Um, I used to use a lot of solar res, which, hey, I, I still do use a lot of solar res. I've never had a problem with the reaction. I usually put a fan on in a win, uh, window and stuff. Yeah. But I, I started using Raid Zap. Yeah. And I, I got to say that they have a great product. Yeah, I got it in front of me here. I've been using it a little bit. Um, yeah, and I, I mix. I got thick and thin and super thin and... I'm all over the place. I do tie a lot of those scuds and that, that sometimes I'll go through three different, three different levels of resin on a scud sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Whatever works. Um, what about thread? What you go to in thread? What are you using? I, I, I use a lot of UTC. Yeah. I, I like it. I really like the, the blending with the UTC, being able to pick your thread apart and just with a little wiggle and a counter spin, you can get some really nice blending with it. Talk to me about that. But, I don't even know what that means. A little wiggle and some, I mean, <laughs> what, what do you mean? So when you're, when you're thread blending, so let's talk about, let's, if somebody's yeah. not done this, so they're tying a chronomid, um, and yes. I, I get the thread blending idea, but how, how do you blend thread? Yeah. With, um, with the UTC stuff, um, if you, I don't know, a lot of people know, but if you counter spin it, right, it will actually open the threads up a little bit and everything will start to sit a little flatter. Yes. Yeah. And so at that point, when I'm, say I, I tied my, my red and I'm going over now with a rusty brown, brown, I'm on a red butt, rusty brown pattern. Okay. You can, um, when you're coming back down with your brown thread there, if you, um, count, counter spin it. And put a little tension on it mm-hmm. and um, and weave it back and forth, left, right, left, right, left, right, as you're, as you're wrapping back up. Um, some people even take like a, a, a little bodkin or something and you can put tension on the thread and hit it with your bodkin a little bit and it'll actually spread it open. You'll notice that yeah. your one piece of UT thread, UTC thread is actually made out of like 10 strands. Wow. Okay. So it'll, so it'll actually open up for you. So you can be weaving it left and right, left and right as you're with very, very touching turns. And after you hit that thing with resin or even as you're wrapping it back up, you'll see the red showing through the brown. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah. And you can get a really good blending effect with that, whereas these other a lot of these other threads I, I find wouldn't do that. I, I use yeah. a lot of Danville thread too. Okay. Which I definitely don't mind. I like I like the thread, but I like to use that mainly for my leeches and stuff like that. With my with my chronomids, I haven't found a better thread than my UTC. Well, the thing I like about UTC is it lays really flat if you work at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and they have a lot of colors too. I mean and a lot of a lot of trusted colors, except for the fact that there's been some I've noticed some color change every once in a while that can yeah. get a lot of people riled up. But. I know it's funny. I see that all the time. It'll be on still waters or some some fly fishing site. Somebody's like, uh, "This rusty brown doesn't look like this rusty brown from five years ago." Or, or you, you hear the big debate on the flashaboo with the yeah. uh, what is what's that? What's that one everyone's always looking Six, for? Six nine one. Or something. Yeah, um, yeah. gunmetal. Yeah, the gunmetal. Gun I think metal. it's six nine one six original. But it 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 makes me laugh that you even know that. Like that you actually. Yeah, I read, exactly. That's funny. I probably have some actually on my wall, but um, I, it's funny. I was going through the other day, and I'm looking at fly tying stuff that I bought like forty years, thirty five years ago, and I'm just like, oh, they don't make this anymore. That's that's one. Yeah. 
Sorry, go ahead. Well, that's just kind of that's what that's some what some of us forget about too. Like as much as we get mad at these uh, color changes by accident, well, that rusty brown you really like ten years before that was probably a different color brown until something happened and they had to go for a different ink manufacturer and now it out came this new rusty brown. So it, sometimes yeah. it could be good, right? Sometimes well, you find out yeah. which one works a little better. Which one works better? Try it. Try it. Try it before you. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And I think, too, a lot of times we forget to think about what that fly is going to look like when it's wet. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a big thing. I, I don't know about you, but that's a, it's a big thing. And you see some guys do it when they'll post a picture of a fly. It's a, it's a big difference of what a fly looks like dry and what a fly looks like wet. Yeah, agreed. And that's why I, I always, think the throat samples are so important. Yeah, exactly. I'm always soaking my flies when I'm coming up with a new pattern. Not all my flies, I'll get them wet. But when I, as soon as I'm done a new pattern, I'm dunking it or throwing it in a cup, you know, dangling it in, in a cup, seeing how it looks out of the water, in the water. Yeah, yeah, well, that's good. Um, so if we want to check out your patterns, um, where's the best place to find you online? Um, let's start with your Instagram account. Yeah, um, Instagram, Facebook for sure. I do I do a lot of, mainly my Instagram. It's just uh, my name, Tyler Ekdahl, T-Y-L-E-R-E-K-D-A-H-L. Um, that's kind of my main platform. I, uh, I've been, I, I've been selling flies for a couple of years now, but I just recently started selling a little bit more flies. I used to yeah. not sell as many because I found it took a lot of time, but I'm thinking about starting up a little uh, website for that. But for now, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook just under my name. Cool. Do you have any um, YouTube videos out there on time? Uh, I just actually just kind of started recently doing that myself here. Um, I actually only have two videos on my YouTube channel. That's under Ties Flies, T-Y-S-F-L-Y-S. But I'm gonna. I'm really gonna start doing a lot, a lot more of that. Cause I had, like I said, I've only done a couple of videos, and everyone seemed to love them. On instructional, I did an instructional video on a chronomid a little while back, and I had lots of feedback on it. Lots of people loving it, and them wanting to see me do a scud pattern and stuff. So I yeah. think that's something in my future here that I'm gonna start doing more of. Oh, good stuff. Hey, I, I appreciate you taking the time tonight. Do me a solid. If you're ever in the interior here um, in my neck of the woods, look me up. You got my number. We'll we'll chase some fins. Oh, let's do it. I'm ready. Tyler, thanks for taking the time tonight. Keep keep up the good work and um, uh, have a great uh, 2021. Hopefully you uh, find a lot of time to get out in the water. Yeah, thank you. You too. I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and... Uh... I'll be seeing you out on the water soon, hopefully. Absolutely. You've been uh, listening to a chat tonight with Tyler Ekdahl out of Maple Ridge, British Columbia, Canada. He is Togan's Fly Shop Pro Staff, Forged Fly Fishing Pro Staff. Check out their fly reels. Grew up in 100 Mile, a competitive fly fisher and pro tire. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.